0: If you could turn to Romans uh, chapter 10, Romans chapter 10, kind of want to help lay out the necessity of missions, why why it needs to be that way, and the way that it is to be. And so in Romans 10, if you're able to stand with me, we're just going to read just verse 14. Now, we will be going through all this later on. Uh, but I won't have you stand for an hour or so, even though I will. That's what it we'll read verse 14 to start off tonight, and I'll have you be seated. The scripture says, How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? Thank you. you may be seated this evening. Now, a question for you, a couple if the gospel is the power of God on the salvation, then why doesn't everyone who hears it believe it? And if the gospel is so simple that even a child can understand and can come to salvation, why are so many confused? Why am I going to a country where it's predominant confusion about the gospel? And, and what happens to those who never accept the gospel? I, I think even greater than that, the question would be, what happens to those who never get a chance to hear the gospel? What, what, how do we understand them? What, what, what goes on? And what do we do with somebody who keeps on rejecting the gospel? I'm sure every one of you could raise your hand and say, I know somebody I've given the gospel to, they've rejected, or you know of somebody who multiple times has rejected the gospel. And the question, what do you do? What are the answers to these questions? Well, I believe that Paul answers these questions throughout the book of Romans and in chapter 10. But for chapter 10 really to have, to me, that the, the emphasis and the, the punch that I think it, it, it needs to have, you have to buy in the three facts about humanity that Paul has already established in the book of Romans. He's already laid the groundwork in chapter 1. And so if you wanted to look at chapter 1 with me, just so you can see, how uh, Paul lays this out, he establishes three facts. The first one's really simple. It says all, is that all people know there's a God. I I get that from verse 18. He says, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness. You notice what all men have? The truth. You you can't hold, you, you in order to hold the truth and unrighteousness, you have to have it. So they have the truth. You say, Well, the, the truth about what? Look at verse 19. Because that which we mean known of God is manifest in them. And in other words, He showed it to them. It's clear because well, God showed it unto them. We say, well, you say, How did God show this unto them? It's in verse 20. For the invisible things of Him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead. You ever heard the argument, if you were to go out in a forest and find a watch, and you came upon that and you picked it up, would your, would, would your first guess be that it just happened to grow there? Or would you see it and say, man, something must have, somebody must have lost this here? You would think that because it, it's just too complex of an item to just show up there. Well, that argument, that's, this is the, the basis of that that you can look around at the complexity of life and at the amazingness of life, and it's understood. It's just clearly understood by the things that are here, what's understood? His eternal power and Godhead. It's just understood, and so this leaves Paul to say this, so that they're without excuse. This is Paul's assessment of the situation. And so, okay, many of you have probably heard of the Acha Indians. They were that remote tribe of cannibalistic, uh, Indians there, and, and many, many of them uh, came to Christ. I don't know if you knew that. But what happened when Nate Sane and Raj Udarian and Jim Elliott and their families went over there and they were making contact with them, <clears throat> we, know, we know it went uh, kind of however at first, and eventually they went down there on the riverfront and they made contact, and the first day was great. It was the second day where they came out and slaughtered them. No mercy, killed all of them. And I don't know if you know this, but one of those men from that scene who was part of the the murder of them came to Christ later on. And here's what he said. Listen to his words closely. I've noticed that many of you Westerners think that we ran around killing and eating people because we didn't know better. He said, that's not true. He said, we always knew there was a deity of some kind and that he was very displeased with what we were doing. Now I'm not making that up. You can go look that up. That's coming from a man who had no outside influence, who grew up in a dark, satanic type of culture, and yet his admission to us after coming to the light is, I knew all along. I knew there was something. How about Helen Keller? We know that for most of her life, she was blind and deaf. So she didn't really have a lot of outside influence influence for for a while and I was reading their account with Dr. Brooks was there with Miss Sullivan and they were trying to communicate to her about God through finger pressures and the account goes that as they communicated to her the idea of God she answered back in her way this I know him I've known him a long long time I just didn't know what to call him isn't that amazing what are you getting at tonight? Here's what I'm getting at, that even in the heart of someone who has no eyes to see or ears to hear, God's written himself there. He's written himself there. The fact that he is real, which establishes the fact that atheism is not a natural belief. It's, it's a learned one. It's a learned belief system, and that's why every culture in every part of the world ever discovered has been religious. Why? They're trying to make amends. They're trying to fix the problem well, here's what I'm saying tonight. No one is born an atheist. Now, this comes close to home to me as I was sharing with some at lunch that I have family, uh, not my immediate family, thank the Lord, that are atheistic. And I remember growing up as a teenager, I would, we would have conversations and I, I would give them the benefit of the doubt. I'd say, well, you know, I mean, what are they, I mean, was he going to lie to me? Um, yeah. <laughs> Let God be true in every man a liar. Yeah. Uh, so I had to come down to this reality as I'm reading through my Bible. Am I going to trust the words of a man in rebellion against God or what God said? See, here's what God says. Um, you know I'm there. I've written myself all over your conscience, all over your heart, all over creation. And so the issue isn't, do they know if there's a God? Well, what's the problem then? Well, Paul's going to tell you in verse 21, because that when they knew God, they glorified him not as God. Neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing themselves to be wise. They became fools and they changed the glory of the uncorruptible God into an image made like the corruptible man, and the birds and the four-footed beasts and creeping things. So what did God do? Well, he, he gave them up to stuff. It's a form of judgment. You look at verse 25. They changed the truth of God into a That's a lie. And then what did they do then? Well, they worshipped and served the creature. Do you think it's an accident that there is a push and an agenda and a theory and a substitute for a creator? Do you think it just happened on accident that that mankind came up with a a theory or a substitute or a lie that would put creation above a creator that, oh, no, this just happened on accident? You don't think it's an accident? No. What, What are men doing? Men are trying their very best to push the God they know to be out of their mind. And so they come up with these lies, and they tell them to themselves. You say, but, but, but why would humanity do this as a whole? Well, Paul tells you in verse 28. Even as they did not like, look at this, to retain God in their knowledge. Well, how are they supposed to replace their knowledge? We'll just keep feeding other stuff in there. And hope that it takes over. I mean, that, 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 this, is, this is where this is. It. They don't want to retain God in their knowledge. And so, so not only do they know there's a God, and they've rejected God, all of people. But all people stand guilty before God. I mean, we know this. This is, this is Romans 3.10. There's none righteous, no, not one. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. There's no one innocent, all of this. And so the fact is that all of humanity is guilty. And it's not because of what we don't know and haven't heard. It's because of what we already do know and what we've done with it. And that's important you understand that. Because here's the implication. The innocent native in some remote tribe doesn't exist. They they don't exist. They don't exist. And unfortunately, many in our day, even in Christianity would say something like this. Well, I mean, wouldn't it be unfair if God condemned somebody like that in a remote tribe that never heard? Wouldn't it be unfair if God condemned somebody that never heard about Christ? Well, that's not the issue. John says this in chapter 3, this is the condemnation, that light has come into the world. Now, if you look at the passage, the word for light is a lowercase l. He's not talking about the Messiah necessarily, what he's saying is that God's light, his revealing of himself, the knowledge, the truth, it's, it's there. And then what did men do? Well, they rejected it. But why? Well, their deeds are evil. And it, what's fascinating about Romans 1, if you look at this, from verses 25 down to 28, Paul lays out three particular types of judgment that God would give to a nation that rejects him. The, the, the women leave the natural use. We see it, there's a sexual re- revolution. We've already been through that in America. And after that, there's a homosexual revolution. And we're, we've already seen that. Well, what's the last step that, what's the last peg that God gives over a nation? Well, um, they, their minds become reprobate. God gave them over to a, rep, a reprobate mind. It's in verse 28. You say, well, what, what is a reprobate mind? Well, one of the ideas is it's non-functioning. I'm not trying to be insulting, I'm not trying to be critical, I'm not trying to be ugly or mean, but I'm telling you if we'd went back 20 years ago and say, "Man, what would it look like for there to be reprobate minds in America?" we wonder, "What would that look like?" Well, you're a man, but you think you're a 12-year-old girl. I don't think that that is working properly. You've decided that you can be anything you want to be any day you want to be that. That's insanity. That's a mind that's not functioning. You know what that is? That's the result of the wrath of God being revealed. And and, and our job is is, is to save the people around us who are stuck in these systems and stuck in this situation. We're to save them from not just this wrath, but the wrath that's coming. That's our job. And so, now that you understand that, all, that if you buy into the idea that all men know there's a God and that all men have rejected God and that therefore all men are guilty before God, then you can go to Romans 10. Because honestly, without that basis, why would we do missions? If there is the innocent man, and if he's innocent on the account that he hasn't heard, then why would we go and let him hear? Because if he rejects, now we've just condemned him ourselves. We should just leave him alone. But that's not how Paul looked at it. Paul's heart wasn't that way with missions. And so this is why Paul starts out in verses 14 again. How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? See, Paul said this, these people need to hear this. They're condemned and there is no chance, there is no hope unless they hear. You know, I will never forget uh, hearing about a a pastor. He was out door knocking, and he ran into a man that was from Iran. And as he shared the gospel with him, uh, at the end of it, the man looked at him right in the eyes, and he said, "If, if, if that is true, I would go everywhere and tell that. That's what he said. And then he said this, if that is true, then how come I never heard that in Iran? That's a good question, isn't it? They say, well, why did you he never hear it over there? Well, because nobody told him. I mean, that's really simple. And, and do you know why many people of the world have not called on Christ yet? Well, they don't believe in him. Well, but why haven't they believed? Well, they've not even heard of him yet. Many have not heard of him. Why they have, have they not heard? Well, because no one's gone to them yet. That's what Paul is saying in verse 14 there. You have these people that haven't heard? Well, they, can't, they don't believe Well, they need to hear. Well, how are they going to hear? We've got to send somebody to tell them so they can hear. That's what verse 14 is saying. And so the first reason that uh, Paul would establish as to why people are still lost is because the first group is they've never heard yet. And you, and you need to let them sink in because that, what that means is this. There are people not just over this road, but even in this town that would come to salvation if they heard. Now, I don't know who they are, and you don't know who they are. That's why we give the gospel to every creature. I have no idea who it is, but we do know that because Paul says that, that they would come, but we don't know who they are. You know, in the, in the book of Acts chapter 10, there was a man named Cornelius. He was a devout man. The Bible says that he feared God with all his house and gave much alms to the people and prayed to God always. I would say he probably got some of us beat. I mean, praying always and fearing God, and, and that's amazing. Like, like, he probably did better than the average Jew. And yet, God, so what God does is God responds to him seeking. God responds to that. And he, he sends an angel to him. He says, You need to go find a man named Peter. Well, meanwhile, Peter's on the other side of town, and he, he's up on the roof having that dream, if you remember, where the the sheet is coming down from heaven and there's the, the, the creeping things and forfeited beasts and all kinds of stuff. And Peter's arguing with God about, I'm not going to eat that. And, and what, during all that, God is communicating to him. These men come and they find Peter. Peter follows the men back to Cornelius. And as Peter and Cornelius begin to talk, uh, Peter understands what's happening, that God had orchestrated this, that he would have given the gospel. And so here's what Peter tells Cornelius. He says this in verse 43 of Acts chapter 10. To him, give all the prophets witness that through his name, whosoever believeth in him shall receive remission of sins. Now, notice what Peter did not say. Peter did not say, hey, Cornelius, you're not a Jew. This isn't how you've grown up. You're a Gentile. You don't have any understanding of this. And so, but man, you're 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 outliving most of my countrymen. You're praying more than them. You're giving more than them. You are sincere. You didn't know any better. And you know what, Cornelius, God's already accepted you. It, it's not an issue of sincerity, is it? No, sincerity doesn't matter in this. What, what's the issue? Um, it's through His name, and that's what Peter tells him. Peter is saying that you don't have salvation just because you're giving and sacrificing and doing all this. It, salvation is through his name as the prophets have witnessed. In the next chapter, when Peter recounts the story to the other apostles who, who are still try, trying to understand that God is opening the door, the door to the Gentiles, he tells them that God had sent him with this message where he would give them the words whereby him and his house will be saved. That's in Acts eleven fourteen. Now, here's the question. Wouldn't it have been easier if the angel that came to Cornelius in the first place just explained the gospel? I mean, why didn't God just have the angel give it to him? You don't think the angels knew the gospel? They're they're sitting there at the tomb when Mary comes in. He's like, he's not here. He's risen. I mean, the angels knew what was going on, and yet, why didn't he give him the gospel? Well, here's why. Because God, in his wisdom, has decided to work through preachers. And that's what he says. How should they hear without a preacher? You say, well, that, well, there you go. I mean, there's only so many of you guys. Well, if you look at the word for preacher in the scripture, the word preacher just means a herald. You know what a herald would do? They would just go and give a message from the king. That's it. It wasn't a special title. It, it wasn't somebody who had four a year, four years degree on their wall or 20 years of training or came from a heritage of preachers. The word for messenger, uh, preacher is a messenger. And last time I checked, you and I were given the great commission to go into all the road and preach the gospel. So we, we, we are the preachers. Like you are a preacher. You are to be a preacher as well. And this is God's plan. And it was for Cornelius, he had to hear the message. And to hear the message, he had to have Peter preach it to him. And for Peter to preach it, he had to be sent. And this is the process that God uses. You can look at Ethiopian eunuch in Acts chapter 8. He was reading about the Messiah and did not understand until Philip, who God called out of a revival meeting and sent to the middle of a desert, which made no sense, he called him there. And as, as he is there, he sees this man in the chariot, and he comes up beside him and says, do you understand what you're reading? And he, what, what did he say? How can I? Except some man should guide me. Those were his words. And w- what am I trying to establish? Again, here's the simple fact that many are ready to be saved and looking and they need somebody to tell them. That's what they need. That's the first group of people out there. There are basically three classifications. When you go out and about your day, you're gonna run into one of three groups of people. Those who have not heard yet. Those who don't understand. And those that don't want it. Those are the three groups, but we have to understand how to interact with them. And so Paul lays out in this section of scripture how we interact with them. The first group is we gotta tell them. That's what he says there. And by the way, that's a privilege, isn't it? I mean, it's a privilege that God would entrust us with such a message. That's what he says there in verse 15. As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings of good things. You know, the the moment that you got saved, if you think back about that, you went from an eternity in hell to an eternity in heaven. Why? Because a person was willing to share the gospel with you. And, And in that moment, that transaction took place where your whole future was rearranged. And I'm sure that many of you could remember the person that was there that led you to the Lord, that it creates kind of a special bond between you that that like Paul with Timothy, there's a specialness there. And that's why Paul says, man, it's a beautiful thing. And you know what I have found? That we can begin to look at giving the gospel as a burden. As, a, as a not enjoyable. As an awkward thing. But, but Paul said, no, no, this is the right mindset. Um, it's a beautiful thing. He's correcting that idea that we could have. But if your experience is like mine, not everyone you share the gospel with accepts it. I mean, not not only do they not accept it, many adamantly reject it. And so the question would be, can you believe that, that such beautiful news, the gospel, can you believe that such powerful news, the gospel, and that such simple news as the gospel, can you believe that more have not received it when they hear it? Can you believe that? And if, if, if you're a human at all, I think that in the, in the recesses of your mind and your heart, you may begin to wonder sometimes, man, is the gospel really the power of God in the salvation? Because I give it to this person and that person, and it, it seems like it doesn't make a difference. Well, that's kind of how Isaiah felt. I look at the next verse in verse 16. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah saith, Lord... Who hath believed our report? If you remember Isaiah's calling, he was there in chapter six and the king had died and he is sitting there and he sees God in the temple and he sees his train fill the temple and Isaiah is so moved by what he sees that as God is communicating that he has a message to give out to his people, Isaiah says, here am I, send me. That's a good posture to take as a Christian, by the way. If you want me to, I'll do it, God. Be surrendered. Be surrendered. And so he does that. He surrenders and God sends him. And if you know what happened there, he goes out and he gives the message right from the mouth of God. And he goes to this place and that place and after he's done all of that, you know what is what how he felt? Lord who's believed the report? Who, 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 did it matter? It's almost as if Isaiah is, is feeling, uh, God, I have preached in that city, and I preached in that town, and I preached in that place, I have went at that time, and this time, and it's like, nobody cares. Nobody believes what I'm saying. He was frustrated. And that's what he's communicating. He said, so why would God send Isaiah to a people who are interested? Well, why would he do that in the first place? Well, look at verse 17. So then faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. You know what the response that Paul was? Um, Without the word of God being heard, faith can't even begin to take place in a person. That's what he's saying. If there's ever a chance for a person to come to faith, it's going to be because of the hearing of the word of God. But you might be sitting there thinking, okay, that's fine, I I, I see that there, but, but what about those that have heard and don't believe? I understand that there are people waiting to be saved that just need to hear. But what about those that we've talked to that don't care? Well, I think that's a good question. But if you think that is a a hard question, I I want to show you that, that Paul is going to take that one step farther. Because to us, it may be astounding that there are many that don't believe when they hear. But here's what's more astounding is why didn't Israel believe? Why didn't God's own handpicked people that were given the law and given the prophets and given abundant revelation and saw God move? Well, why did they reject this? Well, if there was anybody on earth that should have accepted the gospel, wouldn't it have been the Jews? Well, Paul's going to explain why. And he's going to go back to these three concepts and he's going to apply them to Israel and see how they worked out in verse 18. But I say, have they not heard? So that's the first reason that, that we talked about, that there are people that just haven't heard yet. But what did, what's Paul's answer in relation to Israel? Well, yes, verily. Their sound went into all the earth and their words unto the ends of the world. Now, what Paul is doing there is he's quoting from Psalm 19, which says, The heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament showeth his handiwork, Day into day, out of their speech, and night into night. And you say, well, to what extent does God's revealing of himself, to to what extent, to what island, far areas of the earth, to what extent does God's revelation of himself reach? Well, the psalmist tells us there is no speech nor language where their voice is not heard. That's what he says in Psalm 19, verse 3. And that's what Paul is answering. What Paul is saying, seriously, listen, just base level, All of the earth has received some revelation about God. But Israel received more than that. So that can't work for them. Okay, so what would be the other reason? It's in verse 19. But I say, did not Israel know? Okay, so yeah, maybe Israel heard and they they got that, but maybe Israel was confused. What's Paul's answer? First, Moses saith, I will provoke you to jealousy by them that are no people, and by a foolish nation I will anger you. But Isaiah is very bold and saith, I was found of them that sought me not, and I was made manifest unto them that asked not after me. Well, what's he doing there? What he's doing is he's going back as early as Moses, and he is working his way all the way up to the prophet Isaiah, and he is establishing the fact and the case that Israel was well-informed. That the prophets had talked about this. That was his aunt Peter's answer to Cornelius to him give all the prophets witness. They, they all talked about this. Both of those prophets wrote about God turning to the Gentiles. And by the way, didn't Israel see this take place? Could you think of any Gentiles that came into Israel? How about Rahab? How about Tamar? How about Ruth? How about Bathsheba? That Just to name some of them, these were Gentiles that had no part and no standing with God, but God in His grace and His mercy brought them in and grafted them in? Israel wasn't aware of this? Well, absolutely they were. And they knew what God wanted. Well, can you give me another reason? How about Jonah? What was Jonah's answer when God sent him to Nineveh? He didn't want to go. Why didn't he want to go? He tells us why. He says, I knew you were gracious and slow to anger, and in his mind, he knew, if I go and give that message, then these wicked, unworthy people will turn, and I don't want to see that. So he doesn't want to go. So, so he, he didn't know? Of course he knew. That's why he didn't want to go. Jonah didn't want to go. And so, okay, so Israel knew. So, so what's the last straw then? Well, it's in verse 21. But to Israel, he's saying, all day long, I have stretched forth my hands unto a disobedient and gainsaying people. You say, well, how is God reaching out to his people? Well, what was he doing? Um, The prophets was God reaching out to them. John the Baptist was God reaching out to them. Christ's coming was God reaching out to them. Christ's statements about himself on earth that he was the bread of life and he was the door and the truth and the way. That was God reaching out to his people. In Matthew, he said, how oft would I have gathered you? And you would not. That's his indictment on them. Well, what did they do? Well, they rejected him. Why? Um, Disobedient. It's disobedience. Why do people reject God today? It's the same reason. Because they want to. And you have to understand that. And they'll lie to you about it. And they'll come up with another reason, but in the end of the day, they know there's a God and they don't want him. But don't let those people keep you from those that don't understand and haven't heard yet. And I think that's where we struggle with a lot of times as Christians. Because in either of the three cases, whether they've heard, understand, or have rejected, they're going to end up in a devil's hell. But God's not willing that any should perish, is he? No, so what he has done is he has given as a plan for getting the gospel to these people, and that plan is for us to tell them about it, for us to take it to them. And we have no way of knowing who's going to respond. We have no way of knowing who's going to reject the gospel and respond to it, but we do know this, how can we expect people to respond to a message they've never heard? You can't expect that. And I understand that many don't believe because they don't want to, but isn't it more tragic that a person, when a person rejects the gospel, that someone who is looking and we don't give it to them? But you might be thinking again, okay, I understand. There are people that are looking and I need to tell them, but what about the ones that keep rejecting? What, what do we do with them? Well, it's verse 17. You give them the gospel again. Now, you use wisdom and you use prudence and you don't stand up on a table and beat them over the head of the Bible. But but here's what you do. You give them the gospel. Because if you don't give them the gospel, then you are failing to give them the only thing that could help them, and that is the word of God by which faith comes. How many of you accepted the gospel the very first time? I would say probably most didn't. And the question would be, aren't you thankful that someone didn't stop and stereotype you and say, well i already told my neighbor once, why? No, I'm thankful that, that the gospel was given to me multiple times. And I'm sure that you are as well. And understand, not everyone accepts the gospel the first time. God knows what it will take. And, and what if it takes 20 times for a person to hear the gospel before their heart is soft and they submit? What, is, what if it's 20 times? And God's prompting you for a person and you could have been number 20 or number 19. And what if you don't give it? Listen, God doesn't doesn't burden us for people and things and places for no reason. Because God is honoring those that are looking for him. God is giving them a chance. God is pushing a messenger to them. And so could it be that God would be stirring up some of you, maybe even right now, with someone on your heart or in your mind because that's a Cornelius that's seeking? Couldn't it be that? When we went to sell our house, I had to figure out realtors, and we had been there seven and a half years, and, I, and after that long of a time, I didn't remember. I mean, I'd had four more kids too, so at that time, I didn't remember. Who was it that we bought our house from? I could, had no recollection of it at all, and so as I'm looking at selling my house, I'm just like on there looking for realtors, and I, 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 I kid you not, the Lord just impressed on me to find that realtor. I didn't even know what his name was. So I was on Google typing in descriptions of him. That's the best I could get, try to find this guy. And I found him. And I called him. And I said, hey, uh, his name was Tyler Johnson. I was like, hey, man, I, I, I know we worked together. He's like seven and a half years. He's like, I remember you? You're, you? you're the youth pastor guy and all that stuff. Because I shared the gospel with him, and, and he was like, I want nothing to do with that. Shared the gospel with him. And uh, so I, he said, man, this is the weirdest thing. You would not believe this, but there's like four Christians that I'm working with right now. It is so wild. I was like, well, add me to the list. Let's let's, let's get this done. And so as we met, I'm sitting there at the table with him, getting ready to close on the deal of the house, sign the last paperwork, and I just sat there and I asked him again, Tyler, it's like, do you know your sins are forgiven? You'll spend eternity with God in heaven. He says, no, I don't know that. And I said, well, here's the problem. And I went through the gospel with him, and I didn't even have to ask him. Whenever I got done, he said, I'm praying. And he prayed right there. Didn't have to explain why. Well, God had been working on him over seven and a half years. Now, here's the question. What if, what if I had in my mind said, "Well, I've already given him the gospel. And I remember it didn't go over too well. So, you know, surely somebody else would get to him. And I've already given him. I've already washed my hands of that responsibility. I've already given the gospel. Well, I didn't because the Spirit of God gave me another one. He put him on my heart. The fact is that God saw a man seeking, and so he led someone to him, and that's how God works. You know, I believe the reason why we're going to Brazil is because many are looking for the truth. And so tonight, my, the message is very simple. If God is burdening you with a person, you may sit there and say, well, I've already given them the gospel, and I've already been rejected, and it's been time and time again, and, and in your heart, you may feel it's pointless, and it doesn't matter, and it's not going to make a difference, but let me tell you this. That giving the gospel is never pointless. It doesn't return void. Listen, God's going to do something with that. Worst case, they reject you that time, but you're still watering the seed. Because here's reality, there are three types of people out there that are lost. There are those who haven't heard yet, that are, are looking for the gospel, and then there are those who don't understand. They're just confused. They've had grown up in some heresy. And then there are those that don't care. They don't want anything to do with it. And our responsibility to each one of them is the same thing. You give them the gospel. And you, but here's what I found. I went out all the time uh, when I was on staff at the church there. And here's what I would find out. I would go through seasons of discouragement with, with witnessing. I'll admit that to you. Go through seasons of discouragement where I'm out there and it's like every single door get out of here, don't care, get out of here. And you know what that would make me do in my spirit? I'd begin to profile people. And I'd say, well, sitting there, God prompts me about a person over here or at the gas station over here, and I would just say, no, not today. They don't look like they really care because they look like everybody else that rejected. You know what I would do? I, I missed potentially a person that was ready. And here's the reality. I think that we can become ashamed and embarrassed of the gospel. I went through public school. We can get ashamed and embarrassed of giving the gospel to people. We, we can get to the point to where we start profiling people and start deciding who we give it to and when we give it. But I want you to understand something, that that is, is so terrible because this group, the third group, may make us feel that way, but when we give into that, we may miss group one that are looking. So your neighbors... Have they heard yet? From you? Not from pastor, even. Have they heard from you? Your classmates, have they heard from you? Your coworkers, have they heard the gospel from you? Uh, yeah, they've rejected it. Maybe like you did? They need to hear it again? So, in the closing, how much of your week last week included the gospel? How much of your week last week included the gospel? You understand, this is a life or death situation. And if God is just going to wave a magic wand over all these people who haven't even heard yet, then why would we do missions? Why is Paul's urgency that they have to hear? How are they going to hear? Well, there has to be a preacher that goes to them. Well, how is the preacher going Well, we've got to send the guy over there because those people are condemned and the only hope they have is the word of God. And they need to hear it. Because if they don't, well, they're already condemned. And we've got to have that understanding. Because otherwise, the gospel is pointless. Could you stand with me this evening as we just, maybe the Lord has highlighted in your heart an area. Maybe for you, the Lord is putting a person on your mind, even right now, a face, a name that you know. And you might sit there and say, well, God's not really going to. I mean, last time I did it, it didn't matter. Okay, well, we have the Spirit of God who's our guide, isn't he? Just follow him. Don't follow how you feel. Don't follow what you think about it. Here's what we do. We obey the Spirit of God when he prompts us. And you might get back and say, well, see, they rejected. Right. Well, they wanted to. But again, how many times did you? That's